Welcome to the Blockdown Podcast, brought to you by EOK Digital, the number one blockchain PR and communications agency. Every week, we're sharing pearls of wisdom about the world of blockchain and cryptocurrency. Don't forget to subscribe and review our podcast so we can bring you even more great content. Next up, he's the host and founder of Datadash, one of the largest cryptocurrency YouTube channel, channels out there, with over 425,000 subscribers to date. He's an international speaker, a thought leader, and crypto analyst in the space. He has utilized his over seven years of experience in traditional markets to understand the potential of cryptocurrencies. Please welcome a close friend of Blockdown, Nicholas Merton. Nick, take it away. Chris, thanks so much for having me, man. It's so great to see you. And it's great to be here at Blockdown with all of you all here today. I appreciate the opportunity. And I wanted to come to Blockdown for with a very interesting topic that I think is, is very pertinent to talk about right now, because I think everyone's focusing on the day-to-day -day moves when it comes to talking about cryptocurrencies. But what I want to talk about here today is why I'm not worrying about what's happening today, what happened a week ago, or even what's happening this year in crypto. There's so many amazing and exciting signs that crypto is here to stay in the relative future. But as we take a look through this presentation, I hope above all that I can showcase to you all why I currently believe that cryptocurrencies are just getting started. So if you're of the idea that you're too late to the game, if you're just getting started, stay tuned. I really don't think you'll want to miss this one. So what I'm going to be talking about today is how I currently believe that cryptocurrencies, a market that's around $2 trillion in valuation, just broke the $2 trillion mark not too long ago, is going to aim to disrupt over $200 trillion over the next coming decade. So we first off have to start a pretty kind of broad question here. You know, as cryptocurrencies have become a pretty sizable market compared to the speculative bubble or wave that many saw it as back in 2011 and 2013, as well as 2017, I think more and more people are realizing that crypto is here to stay. And the question we have to ask ourselves, as with any asset, whether we're buying a stock in a company, if we're putting our capital somewhere in some form of currency or precious metal like gold or silver, uh, any kind of form of way that we store our wealth, we have to ask, why is it valuable? And the same question has to be asked about cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, etc. There are thousands of cryptocurrencies. What makes them so valuable? Well, there's no doubt, as with any form of investment, going to be some form of speculation. But cryptocurrencies aren't simply speculative assets. They have specific properties that people admire that they look towards when they're trying to store wealth or be able to actually spend and exhaust that wealth somewhere else in the world. And as we'll talk about here throughout the next couple of slides here is how cryptocurrencies have the innate properties to become a world reserve store of value and also the future way we will inevitably use them in regards to spend and exhaust our wealth. So let's go ahead and talk a little bit about some of the properties that make up money in this case, that make up currency, right? And I want to, you know, kind of take a step way back in history. Uh, for those who have studied the history of money, you'll know that we didn't get overnight to using dollar bills, debit cards, and credit cards. We just simply didn't have the technology for it at that time, right? But there were many different transformations of money over the last couple of centuries 
due to the fact that each of these new forms and technologies of money had different properties. So many tribal societies started back thousands of years ago using shells or other types of kind of abundant items that you know certain groups or societies, very closed communities would be able to use as a form of currency when exchanging goods and services. This was the first step away from bartering goods. In this case, basically exchanging a chicken, uh, maybe for a pile of salt, right? You know, doing some kind of good to good exchange, right? Or maybe a good for a service, right? So that was the first major invention. And then we went down the line a couple thousand years or a couple hundred years later towards using gold as a means of currency and storing wealth. Then we went on to using paper currencies, IOU notes that would be used originally on those forms of gold, the claim on those gold notes. And eventually that was leading into the form of paper currency like we still use in many areas today. Then leading on to digital currencies, you know, digital representations of dollars, euros, Japanese yen, great British pounds, Chinese yuan, and digital databases that were controlled by silent banks. And now we have an opportunity to build a new form of money. And it's already here. It's the form of cryptocurrencies that we know about today. So let's go ahead and talk about what makes crypto so great, right? As we went through these evolutions of money and currency through all these different markets, we had a few different features. We first had the convenience for commerce. If you can't go about spending something, it doesn't really make good currency or money at the end of the day, right? It could be a storehold of wealth. Uh, it could be very convenient to maybe, uh, you know, maybe do other things with, but if it can't be convenient to actually exhaust for commerce, that's a big issue, right? So that's where dollars and even as far back using shells and all these different forms of money were very convenient for commerce. It was very easy to track and trace. And outside of this as well, we had limited supply, right? And this really came about through the use of commodity-based money like gold and silver, right? And this is where to date currencies by traditional governments and central banks fall short of. But all of these two properties here are not only desired in any form of money, but outside of this, well, we have a third layer that almost creates the money pyramid, what I like to call in this case, the money pyramid, the three different kind of segments or elements of what makes the ultimate form of money and makes the case for why I personally believe, like many others, that cryptocurrencies are not only here to stay, but that they are the ultimate form of money for day-to-day -day exchanging. Cryptocurrencies not only can be convenient for commerce as we continue to build on top of utilizing crypto, whether it's through exchange platforms or peer-to-peer -peer payments, it does have a limited finite supply due to the fact that these coins programmably have finite specified amounts of tokens and coins that are available to be minted or created, unlike a central bank or central authority uh, that could print money into oblivion or commodity-based money in this case that might still have undiscovered supply like gold and silver and also using shells just like we used to use. That would be completely improbable in today's world. With cryptocurrencies, we have a real opportunity, a new asset class that allows us to make money programmable, allowing us to build the functionality of money even further than any traditional currencies in a permissionless way. It's non-correlated. There are no central banks that control Bitcoin, Ethereum, or Litecoin, or have the ability to print or uh, deprint, or basically burn in this case, or deflate the currency. It's fixed with a specific monetary policy, and it provides clarity of mind for savers. But the biggest thing here is that Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies alike are open and permissionless. 
And I know that in the cryptocurrency space, maybe for some of us who have adopted cryptocurrencies, this isn't very important, right? This doesn't seem as exciting as it would be. But if we actually understand how beautiful this is for people, this basically allows money to flow across the world. It's as if I almost have uh, the convenience of exchanging dollars anywhere in the world, at any corner of the world, and I can send it anywhere without any permission. I can talk about something that's very relevant and important to this. If you have someone, for example, in Argentina right now, they're experiencing you know, capital controls. Whereas maybe, for example, I might have a family member who I need to send money to or a friend that I want to send money to in Argentina. And there are literal limits within the payment rails that it takes from that dollar, that value to exchange over to Argentinian pesos. There's a limit that I have in order to actually bring an inflow of that capital in over to someone in Argentina. With Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, where everything is in a peer-to-peer permissionless framework where someone simply just needs a private public key pair or a cryptocurrency wallet, there is no censorship. There is no ability for a government to freeze you from not only receiving and sending value, but also using it in a variety of ways and securing ownership of it. That's a very, very critical point. So cryptocurrencies offer such a wide range of value. And many of you probably know this by now. You've probably been doing your own due diligence. Maybe you've been in this space for a long time. But it's good to revisit these purposes and these value propositions of crypto because they solidify that this is an evolution of money. Crypto would have died off a cycle or two ago if it wasn't real technology. And it surely wouldn't reach a multi-trillion dollar valuation unless this valuation, uh, you know, value proposition was here. So let's ask ourselves the important question. How much can cryptocurrencies disrupt, right? And let's go ahead and dive into it sector by sector here. The most common reference that Bitcoin has against it, or for example, Litecoin or Ethereum, cryptocurrencies as a whole have, is that they're a competitor to gold and silver, precious metals, maybe even palladium as well. But keeping for the argument's sake, very simple here, gold and silver are the two most common ones that people reference to. And gold is just like silver, a commodity in this case. It can be used for a variety of different things, but the vast majority of it is utilized as a storehold of wealth. We can see here that over 47% is used for jewelry, which is not a commercial use case, private investment. So again, just simply holding gold as an investment, official holdings by central banks, commercial banks, et cetera, and other use cases here that usually still involve some kind of reserve asset principle using gold to protect wealth. And then a few industrial use cases at the end of the day. Silver is a little bit more on the industrial use case side. But these two markets as a whole, and there's a really great website you can use uh, from a website called Visual Capitalist, and you can see all of the different markets of the world. And this chart is pulled from there. And it basically showcases that as of back in May 2020, gold was around a $10.9 trillion market. But actually now, if we not only factor in the increase in gold's price, plus silver as a market, we're looking at around $15 trillion of global wealth that cryptocurrencies might be up against to compete and be a better form of money going over the next decade or the next century. Let's go ahead and take here a look at the second target here. Well, they're called cryptocurrencies for a reason because long-term these digital assets, though they may be volatile right now, may eventually become large enough to where they're able to be stable enough to be comparative to traditional currencies. And this is a point I really want to drill across. I understand people can't even fathom a world where Bitcoin or Ethereum or Litecoin or these currencies would actually be utilized as money. And I'll be honest, they're not really used as money today. 
they're used more as a hedge or as an emerging store of value, much more in the narrative of gold and silver. But eventually, as they continue to grow and as the growth potential declines, but also the potential volatility and downside risk declines as well, and stability is found, this is when cryptocurrencies can start to be seen as a comp competitor in this case to the existing monetary supply, to fiat currencies, physical or digital. And we can see here that the amount of physical money in circulation is just a fragment. It's less than 10% here, statistically speaking, of the overall currency market, which is mainly non-physical, right? So that cash that you have in your wallet or that you exchange for good and service, it's a fraction of it. This is what's known in this case, the actual physical supply, and it's involved within the narrow money supply or M1. But if we go into what's known as M2, the broad money supply, which actually captures the full weight of currency and money within CDs or money market accounts, all the money that's in bank vaults in this case, as well as the digital bank vaults, the bank zone, you're talking around $95.7 trillion. Now, I wanna mention something very clearly here. This statistic was pulled in May of 2020, back last year. If we involve all the excessive printing of central banks since the start of the pandemic in 2020, we're probably talking well over around 110, 115, $120 trillion in circulation. But again, we're keeping it conservative here. We wanna keep the estimates as reasonable as possible. I'm not here to just toss big numbers. We have to understand reasonably what we can work with with the data. And the third element here that a lot of people usually don't compare crypto to is probably one of the best fitting assets to compare to crypto. And that is government bonds. US treasuries, uh, bonds for countries like Germany, Japan, all the major economic superpowers of the world. They've usually been seen as the safest reserve asset to go back to. US treasuries are, for example, the asset that investors use in something known as the Sharper Ratio, which basically helps you measure what you could have gotten with the world's safest, most guaranteed returned asset versus what you invested in. Right? That's how important bonds and treasuries are. They are seen as that safe. They are seen that they will always be paid back, that you always get a proper yield on top of them, and that at the end of the day, they will not be able to be defaulted on. Right? They will be sound, and then you can put your capital into them. Well, as many of you know, government bonds over the last couple of years have now started to enter into a period where they're experiencing real negative interest, or excuse me, real negative yields. So a bond pays out a yield. It's an IOU note, a promissory note to the gov from the government in this case, where I give them $100 and they say at a certain maturity date, they're going to give me 100 back plus some form of yield, right? Well, government bonds have started to fail at doing what they used to do. And these trillions of dollars, tens of trillions of dollars for this case, which again, might be even higher than the 90 trillion I gave it here over the last year, is a massive market of stored wealth that's just ripe for disruption because it's not doing what it's supposed to do. And the same goes here for savings accounts, right? Savings accounts at the end of the day are paying nearly no yield. In the United States, the average savings account rate is 0.07%. That's seven one hundredths of a percentage point. And gold and silver have barely kept up with the prices of equities. They seem to be not as, as, as attractive as an asset. And I think it's been one of the most visual representations of how crypto is starting to extract some of the potential growth potential behind some of these assets. But we're gonna to start to really see it more long-term in these larger markets as crypto grows larger and larger. It won't be as apparent right away. 
So if we take these three markets into combination, a conservative estimate here is that we have over $200 trillion of wealth across the world. That crypto that we just talked about are right for crypto to disrupt. That's not including real estate markets. It's not including other forms of debt across the globe. It's not including any other type of asset class outside of the three that we just mentioned, government bonds, savings or the broader currency supply and precious metals. So when we look at this visualization here, and I just want to ask you guys a very simple question. Do you feel like you're getting in too late to the game? A potential 100x in valuation. Right? Now, I'm not saying here, and I want to make that very clear, I'm not 100% certain crypto is going to obliterate these markets. In fact, I would say that it's probably not going to, right? There will always be probably governments in the world that issue fiat currency or issue promissory IOU notes, in this case, government bonds. And gold and silver aren't going to disappear tomorrow. They're real physical commodities that do have real commercial use case and are time tested. But to think that crypto at this point isn't still going to steal some of this market share as it's already been doing, I really think that the doubters have another thing coming to them. Right? And we have to take this macro perspective when understanding crypto because it is an emerging asset class. It is an emerging store of value and potential form of money. And the way that I would say again is that we should rethink here that in, rather than crypto being per se a speculative asset, it is an emerging technology for savings. Right? It is a new way to store wealth because for the first time in history, we do have something with an absolutely finite supply. And at the same time, this is not something we want to simply look at and say that, you know, for example, I'm just looking to get in and out of the market here. I'm looking to, for example, go make some returns real quick on this market or speculate here and there on this and that crypto. We need to have a sense of respect, right? You wouldn't go around, uh, for example, putting money in and out of your savings account, right? This is meant to be a technology that protects wealth. Similar to people, how people have claimed for years that gold and silver were supposed to protect wealth. Similar to how they said, you know, some people said that you could just simply put money in a savings account or a CD and you'd be able to make some kind of yield. Well, now you can't anymore. Gold and silver are not keeping up with the rates of money printing and inflation. Equities are barely keeping up with it if you actually adjust it for the debasement of currency. And the same goes here for government bonds, treasuries, certificates of deposit, savings accounts, everything is failing, the everyday saver. And this is why we've seen one of the greatest generational wealth gaps in history since back during the roaring 20s. It simply has to do with the money, right? So I wanna go ahead and showcase an example here. And I wanna hopefully make sure you guys can see the chart here. But one thing that I, I want to demonstrate here is that just as an example, over the last three years, if you would have put away $200, not every day, not every week, but every two weeks, right? If you put away $200 every week and done what's known as dollar cost averaging, your original $18,000, $16,000, in savings wouldn't have changed too much if you had put them all in gold or equities like the S&P 500 or the Dow Jones, right? We can see here that gold and the Dow Jones here, these are the uh, gold and red lines here on the chart. But this thing up here is your value, your net worth for the amount of money you put in 
that original $16,000 now in the form of Bitcoin at $120,000. A massive, massive divergence, right? And the point here, right, is that let's say, for example, you didn't even put in $200. Let's say that's the amount that you could comfortably put away in savings every paycheck period, right? Every two weeks, right? Let's say you just did 100, right? Still, that would be extensively life-changing comparative to just simply putting your money in savings. It would far outpace anything you could earn from broad equity investments, passive investing, um, you know, savings accounts, CDs, et cetera. And this is the point I wanna bring here. And that's that we need to treat crypto like savings at the end of the day, right? We've gone from this period of time where the vast majority of people still in this world, we're still in this phase here, have 0% exposure. And we need to work to get people comfortable with the idea of having a one to 20% exposure to this asset class, right? Slowly but steadily, decade by decade, we are going to expand from no exposure to a segment of all portfolios having some risk exposure to crypto. And when I say risk, you're experiencing risk to any asset class, to traditional savings, currencies can be depreciated. They're most guaranteed to. So that's why we always focus when it comes to financial literacy of being exposed to a variety of assets. So you can mitigate that risk. And then in the long term, as we already have some people here going to 20 to 100% exposure, that's only if and when cryptocurrencies can evolve into a multi-multi-trillion dollar market, probably getting into a $10 trillion plus market. So again, the point here I want to bring here, guys, is that there's a lot of opportunity here in the market to bring about this technology. And one really great thing that I just want to hint to you all, for those of you who may or may not know me personally, um, I have founded my own cryptocurrency startup, Digifox. It's a cryptocurrency wallet that allows you to tackle into not only buying cryptocurrencies to gain exposure to the market, but also earn high rates of interest on your cryptocurrencies as well as your dollar savings to hedge against those high rates of inflation. And the key thing is that coming up here sometime in May, we're bringing about a technology that we believe is going to absolutely change the game when it comes to crypto and meaning to that narrative of crypto being seen as savings and helping the mainstream get that exposure that they need to this new emerging asset class. We are very, very early in in all of this, guys. And I'm so excited to be here with this with you all during this journey as we continue to see how cryptocurrencies are going to completely disrupt all forms and really at the end of the day, all forms of technology for saving and storing wealth better yet than anything else has before. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening in. Thanks for listening to the Blockdown podcast. To connect with us on social media, buy tickets for the next Blockdown event, or find out more about EAK Digital, head to the show notes for further information and links to everything. See you next week.